So could uh, somebody remind me of the greatest commandment? That's right. And the next one? And your neighbour is yourself, yeah. Love. Or you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus gave that as an answer to um, a question that was posed to him. And it's interesting that this is the great and first commandment. And whilst we know as Christians we aren't bound to live by the law, we live in accordance with the law because we have the Holy Spirit enabling us to or helping us to, but we're not required to simply keep law. This nonetheless is the great and first commandment. And we therefore need to pay attention to it. And if it's the first and great commandment, it's possibly the thing that we need to pay most attention to. It is obviously very important. And then the second. So the one we pay attention to just a little bit less than the first is to love each other, to love your neighbour as yourself. And I want to explore that a bit um, today. And to do that, we'll um, look to uh, John's epistles. So uh, the first letter of John. So this is just up just before uh, Revelation and uh, chapter 4. 1 John, John, chapter 4. And we'll uh, read from first, uh, first, verse 7 um, through to the end of the chapter, verse 21. See you there, Brenda? Good. So 1 John 4, verse 7. And I won't be straying far from that, that passage. Um, Beloved, well, just, just to say, just as we read this passage, just note how important love is. Note where love comes from. And note the way God demonstrated love. And note also the testimony of love as we read this passage. Beloved, let us love one another For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And we'll talk about that word in a minute. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. 
If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is also, also are we in this world. There is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. It would seem to me there's probably a lifetime of sermons to come out of that passage. And we have but um, a few minutes. But one of the things I want you to note is the source of love. The source of love is God. But this is a special love. This is that agape love. This is, oh, I've, I've talked about that before. Who's going to tell me what agape love is? This was checking whether you were asleep when I preached before. That's rather cruel, isn't it? I can't remember when it was. <laughs> you were, you might not have been here, Michael. One of them, you were certainly unwell. It wasn't because you were unwell after I started preaching and you left. You were unwell before I started. <clears throat> now, agape is a special love. It is the, or one of the, the, if you like, the essential characteristics of God. And it is not only a fondness and affection that somehow or other encompasses all kinds of love, but it is a love and affection that is concerned for the well-being of the object of that love. It means that God is concerned not for himself in his love, but is concerned for the objects of his love, and in this case, us. He has that concern for mankind. And it's a sacrificial love. In one of the the commentators I read, he quoted this from somebody else. The commitment to sacrifice, or the agape is the commitment to sacrifice one's most treasured possession for another's gain. The commitment to sacrifice one's most treasured possession for another's gain. For those of us that saw the video of William Carey, we saw that in action. His child... Was sacrificed. Wasn't deliberate, 
but it was a consequence of his devotion and service for God. And his, what, six-year-old son died. And his wife went mad because of the loss and the stuff she had to endure. William Carey was committed to sacrifice his most treasured possessions in the service of God for the gain of a whole load of people that he didn't really know. So a question for you, what's your most treasured possession? What would cause you the most agony if you were to sacrifice it? What would that be? And the question that goes with that is, would you be prepared to sacrifice that? It's an awful question. For most of us that are parents, like Carey, it would be our children, I'm sure. The most treasured possession. Could we sacrifice them? And we'll think more on that because as we saw that passage, we see that God's example of love is actually doing just that. But God is the source of love. In the passage that we read, um, we see in verse 8 that God is love. This is his very nature. It all seems to me that there are two core characteristics of God's character, of his holy, perfect character. One is righteousness and the other is love. And I can see from the combination of righteousness and love, you can see all his other characteristics flow from that. And it's righteousness that means he demands punishment for sin. Because he is perfectly righteous, he cannot tolerate sin. And therefore sin must receive its just punishment. But equally is all love. His character is love. And what that means is, it is impossible for him to do anything except to do it in love. And that means, as the creator God, he creates in love. As the judge, he judges in love. And the irony, when he exercises his wrath, he cannot but exercise his wrath in love. And that, for our minds, is a contradiction. We see them as two opposite things. But God cannot but exercise his wrath, except to do it in love, because it is the essence of his character. It is his very nature. And we read in that passage that love is from God. That means he is the definitive source of it. Agape as I think I probably mentioned on one of the times, is a word that is not used in classical Greek literature. It is generally not used. The only place it gets used is in the Bible. Talking about this characteristic from love, uh, of love of God. And that means that, or that the, that reflects the fact that this love that has a concern for 
others is not inherently in the nature of man. I guess it had to be in Adam, but it's been bent and corrupted and twisted by sin out of all recognition. And so we inherently have no ability to exercise this agape love because it is by definition God and God is the only source of it. That agape love flows in us if it flows in us at all because we receive it from God. And we receive it from God through his indwelling Holy Spirit. Which is why John talks so much in that passage about abiding in God and God abiding in us. And then the clincher, verse 19 in that passage. We love because he first loved us. Just think about what that says. We love, not because we can do it, but because he first loved us. This is that agape love. It only happens because God first loved us. And we can only do it because we receive it from him. And that's all love. Yeah, that first love, the love that we love with, isn't qualified there apart from the fact it happens because God loved us first and he is the source of it. It's love for God and it's love for each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord and it's love for folk outside of the family of God. That love that we have comes from God and we only do it because he loved us first. Just think about that. It means there is no benefit that we can really give each other that is genuinely for the benefit of others apart from what God has done. And had he not demonstrated that love first, then we would not have it. We could not do it. It is otherwise beyond us. But you look at how God loved us first. It's that place, the cross, which if you like, you can see as the collision of love and wrath. We've sung a lot about the cross and a lot about what it means. And Michael has said about it as we've gathered around the table. But basically because God is absolutely pure and perfect, absolutely righteous... Our sin demands just punishment. And that just punishment is the outworking of God's wrath. And it would fall upon us apart from the fact that Christ Jesus was sacrificed on the cross to pay the price and to satisfy God's demand for just punishment of sin. And in so doing allows that wrath of God to go somewhere else. It no longer falls upon us. And that's what that word propitiation means. That God has dealt with the sin. It's been paid for. He has satisfied God. And so it cannot any longer fall on us. And God sacrificed the one who was most precious to him, Jesus, upon the cross. That thing that that we could not dare even consider 
sacrificing for anybody else. God did it. He did it for you. He did it for me. And the result of that, that we will receive not God's wrath, but Christ's righteousness. And that means when God looks at us, what does he see? I'm pleased to say, when he looks at me, he doesn't see me. When he looks at Mike, he doesn't see Mike. When he looks at Brenda, he doesn't see Brenda. When he looks at Steve, he doesn't see Steve. When he looks at Roger, he doesn't see Roger. He sees Jesus Christ. Because what we've got, the only thing that we can bring is the stuff that causes God to want to exercise his wrath. And that wrath would work out as eternal punishment in hell. But through the blood of Christ shed upon the cross, we have, as it were, been washed. You know, there's a phrase, somebody's got blood on their hands, and that means that somebody's killed somebody. We don't have blood on our hands. We have blood all over us, the blood of Christ. That's why he had to be sacrificed. Michael said it around the table, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So Christ had to shed his blood that sin could be dealt with. And somehow, for in a means that we don't properly understand, Christ took our place. This was just punishment. So it means that Christ was pure and perfect, otherwise he would have been justly punished for his own sin and could be no use to us. He was pure and perfect, the holy God, without sin. But on that cross, for that punishment, that wrath to be just, he had to really be guilty of that sin. I don't know how that works, but if it's just, he had to be guilty of it. But only one person can be guilty of a crime. And because he became guilty of my sin, I became innocent before God. And therefore acquitted. Somehow, that substitution meant that Christ became me. Willingly. In loving obedience to the Father. I should have been on that cross Mike should have been on that cross. Roger should have been on that cross. Steve should have been on that cross. Brenda should have been on that cross. But we're not. It's because Christ was there for us. And this is the expression of God's agape love. He sacrificed that which was of greatest value and most precious to him, his only begotten son, that we would receive the benefit The benefit of being able to stand before God, being declared innocent by God, being declared righteous by God, and thus being able to enjoy God's company in an eternity with him forever. That's the measure of God's love. And that's one of the ways that God's love is visible in the world, through the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross. And the result of that, the result of God's love working out that way, 
we now no longer need fear the judgment. Christ will return. There will be a judgment day. And those that aren't covered by the blood of Christ, those that aren't made innocent by the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross, will alas, unfortunately, terribly, be consigned to hell. The outworking of God's wrath. However, for those of us who have received God's love, we needn't fear that judgment day. We need not fear that at all. That's what it means here when it says, um, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. It was God's love that was perfect. And it casts out the fear in us because we need have no fear of judgment anymore. Seems to me there are two aspects to the fear of God. One of them is this fear of punishment. And the other is this awesome respect of the almighty, powerful, magnificent God. And what the cross did was got rid of for us that fear of punishment. So we need no longer fear the backhand of God as it were. We still need to respect his awesomeness, but we no longer suffer from that fear. That's what John says here. John also tells us that agape love is how God is made visible. He talks there about... um, Sorry, jumped ahead. Yeah, so agape love is God's love being made visible. And it works out through you and me towards others. God is the only source of it. And therefore, when we live out that agape love, empowered by the Holy Spirit, as John refers to in here, then we are actually living out the character of God. That seems to me to be absolutely awesome. And we live it out as we care for each other. We live it out as we show that agape love to each other. We live it out as we care for folk who are outside of us. We live it out as we show them God's agape love. And in that sense, when we do that, the world out there sees God. This is awesome. This is absolutely awesome. So this expression of agape love for us is our expression of God's very character. And it's something that we have to do. You can see John feels very strongly about this because he underlines it. He talks about this both positively and negatively. He says um, in uh, in verse 7, whoever loves and has been born of... uh, Sorry. Uh, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. And later on, he basically says, um, towards the end of that, 
If anyone, this is verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. He captures this love and the importance of the outworking of agape love in our lives both ways. You have to do it, but if it's not visible, you don't know God. If you know God, you will do it. If it's not visible, you don't know God. Now be careful of the trap here. The trap is that we try by works, by our own effort, to do agape-like things. That means that we try and simulate God's agape, but God is the only true source of agape. We can only truly reflect God's character if we're reflecting God's love. You know, it often seemed to me um, that, and actually, yeah, I'd often think about this, if you like, as a big pipeline, you know, of, of God gushing his love down into us so it can spew out through us all over the place. But that's not actually the image that John talks about, is it? You know, we're not standing under some kind of divine waterfall with a big collector and, and fountains that, that rush out. This agape love is sourced within us because God abides in us through the Holy Spirit. And there's, it seems to me, an abiding principle, if you'll excuse the pun, in the Bible. There's a principle of abiding. In John's Gospel, Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit will abide in us, and through the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son will abide in us, and we will also abide in him. And elsewhere, in John's Gospel, Jesus says that he abides in the Father. There is this principle of us living in God, and God living in us. And this means that we are devoted to God. It's like dwelling in the land. It's reliant upon God's resources. But those resources come, that's our dwelling in God, our abiding in God. But those resources only come because God abides in us through the Holy Spirit. And so when Paul um, counsels the Thessalonians not to quench the Holy Spirit... What he's actually saying is don't quench God's character in you. If we suppress the Holy Spirit, if we have nothing to do with him, then what we're doing is saying we don't want God's character living in us. And we don't want to be this living testimony of God through the outworking of God's agape through us. No, this agape comes because God lives in us and works out his character through us. And remember, it is God's nature. He cannot but do everything in love, in agape. Now, this isn't the doing everything in love that we find when there become disputes in the church. You know, when somebody will write you a letter or say, I've got to tell you this in love, brother. Meaning, you're wrong. And I'm angry with you. And I'm disguising it in love. No, this is quite different. It turns it on its head. The source is love. When somebody tells you something in love, it's usually for their benefit, not yours. Because they're angry and upset. However, if we turn it on its head and do it through love, through agape love, 
our concern is not going to be because we're angry, because we will have gone and sorted that out with God first. But it's for the help and the benefit of the person that we're trying to talk with. This turns how we live for Christ on its head. This abiding principle, this outworking of love towards others, John tells us, is the testimony of God abiding in us and ourselves abiding in him. It's the testimony of his character. So it then comes to that question. I mean, if you, if you scored yourself, how would you do? Do we abide in him and he in us? Well, if we're Christians, we have to, by definition. It's whether we throttle that abiding, whether we quench the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> but this love is a response to God's love for us. We love because he first loved us. Do we really grasp the magnitude of what happened on the cross? The magnitude of that collision between wrath and love that happened when Jesus was sacrificed. Because it makes an awful, well, no, not an awful difference. It would make an awful difference to us if love and wrath had not collided on the cross. Because it did, it makes a magnificent difference to us. It makes us different people. It enables us to have God's character living within us and live it out. But do we really respond to love, respond to God's love? Have we really grasped the magnitude of what happens there. And then what degree do we express our sacrificial agape love towards others? Sacrificial means it costs in some way or other. Do we pull back because it costs? I do. I shouldn't, but I do. And what we're encouraged here is to demonstrate that sacrificial love that has the benefit of another in mind and make the sacrifice. As we seek to live as that father's family of faith, do we live this out amongst us? Because it seems to me that is the core of the father's family of faith. If we all belong to the father's family through faith, then we must surely bear his character towards each other. Do we do it? To what degree do we do it? Can we do it more? However much we do it, I'm certain we could always do it more. So where do we stand as individuals and a group? We're not down the tubes. We see agape love working out all the time. And interestingly, over this last year, we can see it more and more. How much more should it be? How much more should we really hang on the fact that we would be consigned to hell, an eternity of punishment separate from God, apart from God's sacrificial love working out through Christ upon the cross? And how much should that, as it abides in us, show that we abide in God and demonstrate his character to ourselves, to each other? and to others. Thank you. Let's just pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we do want to come before you and we want to thank you for your 
awesome love. And we want to thank you that this is your character and you can do nothing except in love. And we thank you therefore, Father God, that because of that, you found that means to make us whole with you, right with you, able to be in your company forever. And we thank you that your character lives in us and works out in us. And Lord, we would ask that you might work more in us, that your character would work out more through us. Lord God, that we would be perhaps known as a people who simply exude that sacrificial agape love for each other and for others. Lord God, that the world would look in and see you through those very acts of love. We just praise you and we thank you. And we ask, Lord, you'd go with us and that you would make a difference to us. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.